So, beloved, what is this relationship between prayer and the armor of God? We have been looking at this armor over the the past few weeks as we have noted that in this extravagant work of grace of God in Jesus Christ, God has dealt a fatal blow to the enemy. And yet the flaming darts of the doomed regime continue to assail us. While we are waiting for the consummation of this kingdom, God empowers us to do all that we can in order to stand with Christ against these ongoing tantrums of the defeated dark forces. And we do this by cultivating, standing, acting in the strength and power of His limitless might that He used in raising Jesus from the dead. That he works in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We do not stand as those who stand merely through the strength of our own might. Because your might has big time limits. Your might, even on its best day, is weak and cannot help you to stand. But you don't have to try to do it that way. That's the nature of our union with Christ that Paul has been unfolding from the beginning of this letter, which, by the way, he has been doing through different prayers that fill this epistle. Where even that calling of, to us to, to celebrate that, that work of God in Christ and blessing us with all of the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places in Christ began this epistle as an expression of prayer from Paul to God. Drawing us and inviting us as the church to enter into this praying of the Apostle Paul, celebrating this eschatological work that has been done in Jesus Christ, that is what gives you your identity and calling as God's people. You are a heavenly colony that are dwelling here on earth, you are ambassadors of the eternal love, grace, truth, goodness, beauty, justice, righteousness of the triune God. You are representatives who are to continuously be embracing, embodying, and extending these things. This is our privilege. This is our calling. And as Paul is bringing all of this to conclusion to a church that was birthed in the midst of great controversy, a church that came into existence as those who were dabbling in the dark arts and magic 
that they were repenting of these things. They were being called out of the kingdom of darkness and drawn into the kingdom of light so powerfully that they were burning their books, that we are told the, the, the sum and the amount of value that got burned up was, 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 was just, it was, un, it was not something that the average person would ever have seen in their whole lifetime. The gospel, snatching people, not just out of darkness as we tend to think of darkness in terms of an ethical darkness or in, in terms of, of, you know, not being good. Drawn out of that domain of darkness in which they were enslaved, in which they had no hope. They were separated from God without hope in this world. And the only thing that they had to look forward to was suffering and death and then judgment. And the gospel, through the simple preaching of a man named Paul, snatching them out of darkness, snatching them out of the practice of the dark art. Snatching them out of the idolatry of Artemis. Snatching them out of the idolatry and immorality of idol worship. And drawing them into the extravagant life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where the church were not only the recipients of reconciliation, but now have been made participants in the reconciliatory ministry of Jesus Christ. To put it another way, as Paul says, when Christ saved you to himself and made you part of his church, he caused you to trade sides in the war. And you are now a soldier in Christ. And Paul tells us that, that this darkness that they had experienced was not over simply because they had come to Christ. But in fact, that the, 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 the difficulties and, and the trials and the tribulations were going to become escalated because they were now on the side of Christ. But we stand in his victory we stand in his mission. We stand in his completed work. We stand in his power because he has granted us his armor. And from head to toe, we are completely arrayed in the armor that God himself has worn, in the armor that Jesus Christ wore when he, achi wore when he achieved this victory. This is who we are. This is what we are called to. And this is the strength that is made available to us. But the issue is, beloved, that you and I do not appropriate these blessings as we ought. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. And the struggles that you have in your faith the struggles that you have in, in living to a level of holiness that I know that you desire. I know you want as a people to be growing in your holiness. I know that you desire to, to reflect more and more who 
God considers you to already be in Jesus Christ. I know that you as a church long to be sanctified and to be further along in your walk than you are. I know that you don't like the ongoing struggle that you have with the things that are going on in your hearts. I know that. I know that you don't like to have to continue to struggle with with the ongoing challenges that come from being in a church that is filled with sinners saved by grace. It is tiresome. It can be discouraging. And it is so easy to want to respond in earthly ways. It can be so easy to want to check out. I'm just going to devote myself to my family. I'm going to check out. I'm I'm just going to devote myself to my job. I'm going to check out. I'm just I'm just I'm going to devote myself to music. I'm going to devote myself to sports. I'm going to devote myself, right? Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank with this thing, with that thing. And some of those things are can be sinful and some of those things can be good, but because we are trying to utilize them for for reasons and purposes that they're not designed, we make them that. It can be so easy to see the wicked and to see, well, man, it just looks like they're prospering. Look at that. They're they're not praying. They're not spending time reading God's word. They're not going to worship. They're not they're not reading God's word and and, and asking for help to, to live it out. They're not doing any of that stuff. And look how their lives seem to appear. They seem to have money. They seem to have success. They, they seem to have good relationships. Oh, and guess what? When their relationships start going bad, well, they don't have the burden to love as Christ loves. And they get to just cut people off. They get to just cut people out. And it becomes so easy to become distracted or to become discouraged and to start looking at the world and thinking, it would be so much easier not to be a Christian. Beloved, when when we get in those places, then you know that you are now wrestling with one of the wiles of the devil. Because the psalmist says, now, what may look like one thing right now, we know is going to end up completely differently. God's going to bring these things to an end. And when he, bring, when he comes and when he brings his judgment, those who look to be prosperous and those who look to be sailing through life and everything's going so well, he says, you're not even going to see them anymore. What the psalmist is doing there is also what the Apostle Paul is doing, but in a, in a, in a, in a redemptive historical way in which Paul can be more clear than the psalmist. And that is to give us the heavenly perspective of all the stuff that we experience in life. 
And what we have to do as the people of God is not only embrace this truth of the armor and it's how, how, how strong it is, how powerful it is, how thorough and complete it is, and how trustworthy it is. We have to move beyond that to actually appropriating it. Because the reality is that you and I, though we are in Christ, Though sin's penalty has been completely paid, though sin's power is completely broken, sin's presence is still here. It is in the world. It is among the dark forces. It is still in your flesh. And the reality is for you and I that we have attitudes and desires that get in the way of appropriating this armor of God. And so Paul, knowing this about us, moves us directly from this discussion about armor into the way that we appropriate this armor. And to sum it up in one word, it's prayer. You and I struggle with self-sufficiency. That's why we so often engage in the limits of our own strength. What Paul knows is that we need to grow more and more and more in dependency on God. What is prayer? Prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. Paul knows that we are going to continue to struggle with the desires of our hearts. He knows that you and I, even though we are in Christ and though God counts us righteous in his son, Paul knows that you and I are still in the process of being sanctified. And so you and I are going to live lives in which at some, you know, sometimes we are devoted to the Lord and other times we are devoted to ourselves. And we are a mixture of these things, and we will be a mixture of that mixed devotion until Christ returns. And when we are freed ultimately from sin's presence as well, where the whole point of what it means to be perfected in Christ when he comes in the consummation is that we will no longer struggle against sin. And the desires of our hearts will only be for righteousness as the the desires of our hearts will be summed up in the enjoyment of the full glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Until that time comes, you and I struggle with attitudes that get in the way and we struggle with desires and aspirations that can get in the way of appropriating the armor of God. And so Paul, through prayer, is encouraging us here to to practice a readiness for living in in a, a life of glory through prayer. There isn't a problem with the armor. There isn't a need for more armor. What we need is to be stirred up and motivated from within to appropriate the armor that we have. 
And so putting on, taking up the, the armor of God requires us to have an attitude of dependence on God. And it calls us to stand firm in this comprehensive, spirit-filled praying. Now notice here in verse 18 how many times Paul uses the adjective all. Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's an emphasis here on on all or this comprehensiveness of what the Apostle Paul is setting before us when it comes to the type of prayer life that cultivates a life of glory within us so that we are putting on the armor and using it as we go through life. Notice here that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit. This whole letter has been about the comprehensiveness of the extravagance of the grace of God that is in us through our union with Christ that has happened because of the down payment of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit takes the eschatological realities of Christ. And the Spirit, as He comes into our lives, brings all of those blessings, brings all of those realities, brings all of that power with Him as He takes up residence within us. But we are the ones who have to cultivate a consciousness of this Spirit within us. As we saw in Ephesians 3, back when we were there, it is the Spirit that takes the preaching of the mystery of the gospel and makes it effective. It is the Spirit that takes the love of God and causes you to subjectively interact with that love so that the love of God starts to take over your life more and more and more so that through the Spirit you are able to see the height and the depth of the purposes of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. The Spirit takes all of these things that belong to the Trinity, that have been made efficacious through the work of Christ. The Spirit takes it and He gives it to us as He takes up residence within us. Praying in the Spirit then means praying according to this heavenly reality and perspective that has become ours as those who have not only received all the blessings of the heavenly places, but who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So often, when we pray, we pray according to the limitations of an earthly experience or an earthly perspective. Even in our act of praying, We are being called to consciously find ourselves hidden in Christ through the Spirit so that even as we engage in prayer, we are not 
limiting our prayers through our own strength, our own perspectives, our own experiences, but we are praying as those raised up and seated with Christ. Heavenly prayers expressed by a heavenly people through a heavenly perspective that leads us to understand and experience our earthly trials and tribulations and to understand the ongoing wrestling with spiritual powers, understanding those things from the perspective of resurrection, victory, and glory. And so you have to cultivate through prayer that that life of glory now. As you cultivate, as you take in through prayer all of these things that are revealed in God's Word so that you don't just study the Word. You pray it. You take the truth from that comes out of your study and you pray it into the depths of who you are. So that you can live and you can engage in the warfare as those who are putting on the armor of God. So you've got to pray. And you have to pray in the spirit, but you also have to pray here, uh, Paul tells us. We have to pray at all times. And, And the way that it's worded here is so interesting. We are to pray at all times, but it also is that we are to be praying all kinds of prayers within the different times that we live. Paul here, as he says that we are to, we are to um, uh, through all prayers and supplications, as the ESV has translated it, it's taking two different words for prayer and holding them together. The first word for prayer there is the idea of an attitude of prayer in which you are living out your existence before God as one who is on your knees before him. It is a general big picture idea of prayer. And then through petitions, through supplications, through the specific specific requests that we ask of God that flow out of that general attitude of prayer in which we are living on a daily basis. It means we've got to be cultivating a prayerful attitude, not just trying to pray, but cultivating an attitude in which Moment by moment throughout the day, we are living, as we've been talking about in Sunday school, we're living quorum Deo. We are living before the face of God every second of every day. And what happens is when your attitude gets off and you start becoming self-dependent, guess what you start forgetting? You start forgetting that you are living quorum Deo. And so there is to be this general attitude of prayer that is to mark the people of God so that we are living dependently on our knees always before the Lord 
so that everything we experienced are experienced from that place. And then on the basis of what we are experiencing and on the basis of what is true of Christ and who we are in him through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then we ask the Lord to act. And notice here, it's, it's all kinds of prayers. It's all kinds of praying. I think, I think the Apostle Paul has the Psalter in mind as, as he is reflecting on these things. And if you do a study of the Psalms, what you'll find is not every Psalm is exactly the same. There are different, if you want to sound fancy, there are different genres of prayer. If you want to sound like Jesus, no, I'm just joking. There are different genres of prayer. There are different types of There are different types of prayers in the Psalter. There are psalms of praise where the the writer is, is writing this reflection upon his praise of God because of who God is and what God is doing. Because of who God is, what God has done, and what God is going to continue to do in the future because God is trustworthy. He is covenantally the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Psalms of praise in which the focus of the prayer is, is, is exalting the Lord and get it. When we do that, that's not just an act of worship for the Lord to recognize his worth. It also is a way in which we experience our exaltation with him in Jesus Christ. There are psalms of thanksgiving where we are called to to consciously reflect upon who God is and what he has done, who we are to God because of his works of redemption and to express these things in gratitude so that our hearts are, are not getting fixed on the things that we think we don't have so that we're not tempted to look at the wicked and want what they have, but instead we are able to celebrate what we have already in Christ. Psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of wisdom, where where we are given instruction about how to embody the, the covenant as God's people in this world. Now some will say that there are messianic psalms. I am of the school of Augustine. All psalms are messianic. Every psalm is either the the psalmist speaking as Messiah or the psalm speaking about Messiah. Every psalm's messianic. But do you know that one of the main categories of prayer in the psalms are psalms of lament? Psalms in which the people of God express sorrow and faith in God. Sorrow because of the experience of ongoing sin and injustice that continues to take place in the world, in the church, in your own hearts. A sorrow that comes from that. A sorrow that is the natural result of a heavenly people not living in the fullness of what they already are as they continue to have to wrestle and struggle not only against the flesh and blood but against the powers of the spiritual forces. 
There is a proper place for lament in the people of God. And one of the subcategories that you will find in lament psalms is a category of imprecatory prayers. Prayers of imprecation are prayers that that because of the sorrow, because of the heartbreak, because of, of the, ex, the ongoing experience of the struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not only do we lament these things, but we ask God to bring it to an end. And sometimes in those psalms of, of imprecation, there are prayers for, for God to wipe out the Messiah's enemies, to wipe out those men who are standing against the Lord's anointed. But in all of them, there is an implied prayer that the Lord, the King of the universe, would avenge himself against the rebels and against those who would stand in his way, against those who would embody evil and wickedness and hurt and injustice and to bring these things to an end. And beloved, I think that one of the types of prayers that are most often missing in the church and in your lives as individuals are prayers of imprecation against the dark forces that are still shooting flaming arrows at us. And we forget that we, as we stand with those shields of faith, we also have direct communication and access to the God of all power and might who can and will bring these things to an end when he is ready. And so one of the things, as Paul is saying here, praying at all times in the Spirit, praying all kinds of, of, of prayers, I would encourage you to not be afraid to pray these these psalms, uh, uh, these imprecatory psalms, these imprecatory prayers that you find in the Old Testament and in the New. Jesus in Matthew 23 is pronouncing woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees. Make no mistake, that is that that is uh, those are imp, uh, imprecatory statements that Jesus is making against those who are blind leading the blind. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, 8 and 9 announces his anathema against those, whether they are angels or people, anyone who preaches a different gospel than what he is preaching. He says, may they be damned to hell forever. Now, when it comes to this kind of praying, it, when it comes to, as we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, we have to be very careful. If we are praying against someone or some ones, 
We have to be very careful because we are sinners and we have to watch out that we don't engage in imprecatory praying out of our own sin. And so we have to watch out and be careful with that. And if that is something that you are uncomfortable with doing when it comes to a specific like person or entity that is standing against God's kingdom, that is hurting people, I understand that. But one of the things that you can pray without reservation and without having to monitor your own motivations is praying these imprecatory psalms against our spiritual enemies, against the dark forces. Are you doing that? Are you engaging in the prayers of asking the Lord to tear down everything about the existence of the counterfeit kingdom of Satan and to build up and to protect and to advance the kingdom of God as the proclamation of the gospel goes forward. Praying in the Spirit, praying at all times, praying all kinds of prayers, including these prayers of imprecation, praying persistently and consistently, not just every now and then, but engaging in this type of comprehensive prayer on a daily basis. And then lastly, praying for confident and clear proclamation of the gospel. Paul says, as you are praying all these kinds of prayers at all times in the Spirit, for all the saints, staying alert, not falling asleep, not being distracted by the wicked, not being distracted by your discouragements, not being distracted by bad attitudes and aspirations that are contradictory to your identity in Jesus Christ. When you are staying alert through praying all these kinds of prayers at all times in the Spirit, pray for the proclamation of the gospel. Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. It's an epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison, as he says here, as I am one who is in chains. But as he is in chains, the gospel is not. And what he asks the church to pray for are opportunities and open doors so that the church can proclaim the hope of the gospel. And he prays that that what he asks is for us to pray that as God gives these open doors, as he gives these opportunities, that God will also give the words to the one who is speaking so that they can speak with confidence and so that they can speak with clarity. What he says here is that what we are doing when we are preaching the gospel is that we are disclosing a mystery that's been revealed. And so we need a clarity in how to, to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need confidence. What we don't need is brashness. What we don't need are arrogant attitudes that think that being bold means that we get in people's faces and we condemn them with the law. 
Beloved, notice what he says here. We pray for boldness, meaning confidence. We pray for clarity in disclosing the mystery of the gospel. Is your zeal for the presentation of hope? Or is your zeal in trying to one-up the person you're talking to? Is your goal, is, is what makes you feel confident in bearing witness for Christ, is what makes you feel confident, is that your ability to back them into a corner with arguments? Or is that you stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking as an ambassador of the heavenly places? Where is your confidence coming from? And so, beloved, the way we appropriate this amazing armor, the armor that God wore, the armor that God has gifted, the way we appropriate this armor in order to deal with the attitudes and aspirations that get in the way of us walking in Christ, the way we appropriate this armor is through our praying. And so go forth this week. Take advantage of the access you have to God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ gifted to you where you can now come boldly before the throne to confess your sinful attitudes, to confess your sinful aspirations and so that you can be renewed in the realities of the gospel so that you can walk in those things and then pray them not only for yourself, but pray them for this church. Pray them for our presbytery. Pray them for our general assembly. Pray them for all the churches of Jesus Christ throughout this world. Because all of us together are sharing in a suffering that leads to glory. And at different times and for different reasons, one may be up while the other is down, and we have each other. And so engage in a comprehensive praying that prays in the Spirit at all times, all kinds of prayers, and praying specifically for the gospel to go forth in power and in clarity. And if you will pray this way for yourself and for me and for one another, you will, you will stand firm by having put on the full armor of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who recognize that though our faith consists of truth statements that you have revealed to us in your word, our faith is not summed up by truth statements. But there is this whole supernatural reality that these truth statements are describing. That we are ambassadors of the heavenly places who are engaged in something supernatural and cosmic. And that you are using even us 
even us who still wrestle with sinful attitudes and aspirations, you are using us to bear witness to the victory of Jesus Christ. His victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the dark forces. And so, Lord, help us to live supernatural lives, recognizing the supernatural realities so that our fight would not be limited to flesh and blood and so that we would not rely on ourselves, that we would not rely on our our own superior arguments, that we would not rely on what we think are, are better techniques but that we would rely on you, the presence of your Son, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us, Lord, a praying people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.